This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. If you were here last week, we, uh, we heard the mantra of American humanism through the words of the, actually the current leading voice of pop culture in this country, um, an artist by the name of Lady Gaga. And her religion, we listened to um, Nathan sang uh, her latest song, uh, I Was Born This Way. Her religion says that we are just like God made us to be, every single one of us. And if that's the case, if she's right, then and the case that she makes is that means that if we're just like God made us to be, there's nothing wrong with any of us, right? Everything's okay. But what we did last Sunday is we took a look into the scriptures to find out what God has to say about us, about mankind, about humanity. And we found something very different, a very different doctrine than the doctrine of Lady Gaga. And, and the word tells us, the scriptures tell us, God did create mankind in perfection, uh, perfectly. Adam and Eve had it all, but they believed the lie. And they traded that perfection that God had given them in creation, they traded that um, in disobedience to a very simple command from God. The command was so simple, it was just, you see that tree? Don't, don't pick the fruit, don't eat it. That's it. That's the only thing I've told you that you can't do in this garden. Everything else is for you to enjoy. They chose to disobey that command from God, and when they made that choice of disobedience, their perfection was gone as well. But the problem was that it wasn't just for them. Perfection was gone for everyone who is descended from them. That includes you and me. That means this. What's wrong with you and me, and we talked about last week how humanity were broken in the sin that we have. What's wrong with you and with me? And there's things wrong with you and there are things wrong with me. I know what's wrong with me and you know what's wrong with, me, with you. For example, last night, I know, I know what's wrong with me because last night I went to a birthday party and I ate stuff I shouldn't have eaten and way too much of it. I had pizza and I had ice cream and I had cake and it was wrong, wrong, wrong. Wasn't not, Brad, you were there. You were just as wrong as me. I shouldn't have done that. I knew better than to, to eat all that stuff. And then some of us are still paying for it this morning. We know what's wrong with us. We know we're broken. We know we're not perfect. And that means this. What, because sin is something that I choose to do. God did not... I didn't hear a voice from heaven last night saying, Rick, eat that cake, eat that pizza. This is my will for you. You know, I didn't hear anything like that. I chose to overdo it. What that means is this. Whatever it is that's wrong with us, whatever this sin is in our lives, and we all possess it, whatever we're like in this broken state, it's not God's fault. We can't blame who we are and what we do on God. So the question this morning is this, how do we get from what we are to what God created us to be? 
The story of Adam and Eve and, and the sin that they committed there in the garden, the, the Bible uh, the, the tells that story and theologians refer to that as the doctrine of original sin in that Adam represented all of us, and as a result of that representation, as he is our, he's our father, earthly father in, in that sense, we've all descended from, from him, all of us have been born into life as sinners. These new grandbabies that are coming into the church, I've got one coming next month. These new children that are coming, these babies, you look at them and we, we pick them up when they're newborns and we think about how innocent they are, but the fact of the matter is they are not innocent. David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. I was, a, from the very get-go, David said, I had this sinful nature in my life. None of us had to teach our children to be selfish, did we? No, nobody, nobody has to teach a, a toddler how to say, mine. You don't teach them that. That's just something that naturally comes out. They learn the word, and then they understand what it means, and they want everything that they see to be theirs. Nobody's got to teach them to be selfish. So what we do is we try to teach them not to be selfish. We teach them how to share. We teach them that word, share. And so that when they are with other children and playing with toys, they learn how to share those toys. And, and my youngest granddaughter, Evane, uh, she'll be two um, this month. And she's been, we've been, we have and her parents been teaching her share, and she thinks in her mind she's got this concept of share down. To her, what it means is this. If I walk into a room and there's somebody else, child, playing with a toy, I go up and I take that toy, and as I take that toy, I say, share. <laughs> what is that that makes her do that? It is the fact that we are all by nature infected with this brokenness of sin. That we're sinners, however, please understand, it doesn't mean that we're all as bad as we can be. It doesn't mean that we're all rotten to the, just evil, you know. There, there are very few people that I think are, are like that. But it also doesn't mean that I can, I can look at somebody else and I can compare myself to another person and say, well, I, I'm, at least I'm not doing that, you know. At least this has never happened in my life. Look, you know, we don't compare ourselves to other people. The fact is we're all broken. We're all fractured. It's our universal problem, and we know it. And even when we hear religion and culture, like the song last Sunday, say to us, you're okay, the, the, the secret is this. We all know we're not. Deep down inside, we know something's wrong. Something's broken. I mean, who can go through a day without thinking a wrong thought or uttering a careless, hurtful word? Who can go through the day without being angry at the driver who cuts you off in your lane or not doing something? Who can go through the day without doing the right thing when we have the opportunity to do something right and we don't do it? Oh, I didn't do anything wrong, but you didn't do the right thing. God says that's sin. We're all sinners and we know it despite what Lady Gaga says. The Bible makes that clear for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Read, read this verse with me. Let's read it uh, together, read it aloud. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, are you included in everyone? Yeah, 
So it spread to all of us, and it says, because all of us, everyone has sinned. And God wants us to know what the problem is, that we are sinners. And he wants us to know that because ultimately, you and I are still individually accountable to our creator. All of us will have to answer to God for the sin in our lives. All of us will have to do something about that. We're all in the same boat. And you know what? That's not good news. That's bad news. But here at Nags Head Church, we, and though we believe all that to be true, we also believe that there is good news, that God's provided the way to have that brokenness of sin forever repaired. If you're our guest today, we're in a series um, titled Ancient Foundations kind of right in the middle of it, and we're taking a look at the doctrine today of salvation, which defines what we believe as a church, what the Bible says about how broken humanity is loved so much by God that he provided the way to get back to him and get back to what God originally created us to be, to be his children. God's made that way. God's plan is for you and I to be new creations. He wants to fix us. And Lady Gaga's song ended last week with the phrase, there is no other way. And this morning, I want to share with you the fact that the Bible says, oh yes, there is. There is another way. We're going to talk about that this morning. What is that other way? Number one, the way is through Jesus. The way is through Jesus. Jesus, we talk, we've talked about him already in this series, and we've talked about the doctrine of the Son. God's son Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, doing what Adam was unable to do. Adam could not resist, if you will, although he chose not to resist. He could have. He chose not to resist that temptation of that, of that tree, that fruit, and he chose to obey. Jesus, on the other hand, did what Adam couldn't do. Why didn't Jesus, by the way, have this sin nature? Because when we talked about Jesus being the Son of God, we talked about the fact he's 100% man and 100% God. He's God in human flesh. He's God. He's tempted in everything just like you and I are. Why didn't he have this sin nature? And there's a couple reasons for that. One is that uh, Jesus has existed as God for all eternity. He didn't just show up in Bethlehem on Christmas morning, and, and there he is, something brand new that's never been thought about before. He's been forever. So it wasn't something in, in, on that Bethlehem morning, it wasn't something brand new that came to earth. Jesus has always been. Our lives, on the other hand, begin when? Begin at conception, we believe, and then at birth is when we really start acting it out. But our lives begin then. Jesus being eternally God, didn't begin in Bethlehem. He had no human father, but was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young virgin girl named Mary. None of us can say that about our mothers, about our birth. Jesus was sinless. One of the other reasons we, we know that Jesus was sinless because of what people who knew him said about him. Who knows you best? And if you were to go to talk to Gail, she's here this morning, and you would say, you know, tell me about Rick. Is, Rick. is Rick a sinner? How much time have you got for that conversation, you know? She knows the good and the bad and the ugly about me. We've been married for almost 34 years. She knows me better at this point in my life than my parents. She knows me better than anybody on this earth. She knows me better than any person in the universe other than God. 
because he can actually see in my heart, but she knows my imperfections. Who knows you best? Is it your spouse or maybe a family member? Could be your best friend or, or could be some people that you work with. Who knows you best? Those who knew Jesus best testified to us that he was sinless. For example, his best friend was a man named John who wrote the Gospel of John and then wrote three letters at the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then wrote the book of Revelation. John was Jesus' best friend during Jesus' three and a half years of ministry. And John writes in 1st John 3, verse 5, about Jesus. He said, in him there is no sin. I watched the man live for three and a half years, sun up to sun down. I traveled with him, talked with him, sat down, ate with him. I heard him, I saw him. And let me tell you, he never sinned. There's no sin in him. Peter, another one of his close friends, would write this in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, Christ never committed any sin. He never spoke deceitfully. Does that nail you or me? Christ never verbally abused those who verbally abused him. When he suffered, he didn't make any threats, but left everyone to the one who judges fairly. Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so that freed from our sins, we could live a life that has God's approval. His wounds, talking about his crucifixion, his death, Peter said, his wounds have healed you. Peter and John, close friends. Let's get closer than that. His own brother James became a Christian, became a Christ follower. In writing a letter to first century Christians, James made it very clear, Jesus is my Lord. Now, how would you like to say that about your older brother? You, you say, I couldn't say that because I know my older brother and I know what he's capable of and I know, what he, I know how he used to talk about mom and dad and I knew how he used to rebel against my parents and I know how he used to treat me and do things to me. My older brother, you gotta be kidding. Jane said, my older brother is God. Here's somebody that grew up in the household with him, would have seen things that mom and dad can't see would have known all the little things about him. And James says, he is my Lord. James saw his brother, Jesus, as God. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who questioned Jesus the night before his crucifixion, before sentencing to death, he was brought to Pilate, the Roman government, uh, the governor who had the, the, the law in his hands, the only one who could do anything about this, who could crucify him. He questions Jesus and spends time asking him about who he is, and then he comes back to the Jewish people perplexed. He says, I don't get it. You want me to crucify this man, but I'm going to be real honest with you. He said, and it's recorded, Luke says, I find no fault in him. There is nothing wrong with him. He's innocent. What in the world are you all thinking? He hasn't done any crimes. Jesus was sinless, and having no sin in his life uniquely qualified Jesus to satisfy the payment for our sin and to free us like no other person ever could. And he willingly then gave his life, and he died on a cross to make forgiveness possible for us. His death was a sacrifice on our behalf. He died as our substitute 
The Bible says the wages of sin is death. God said to Adam, don't eat off of that tree because the day that you eat from that tree, that day you will surely what? Die. That's the penalty for sin. And here is someone who never sinned, but he went to death on the cross as our substitute to take our sin upon himself, to to trade places with us, to die our death that sin brings even though he himself had committed no sins. Why would anyone do that? And the answer is very, very simple. Because God loves us. Because God loves us. And then, miraculously, three days later, proving that he was the Son of God, proving that everything that he said, every word that he uttered, every action he made, was true and was right and had God's approval, God raised him from the dead, making it possible for you and for me to live forever. That's the good news. I'm excited about that. I'm thankful for that, that God has provided a way to fix the brokenness in my life and fix the brokenness in your life and to give you everlasting life. That's the good news, and it makes it possible For you and I, who in God, in the original creation of man, made Adam and Eve perfect, but sin came in and broke the perfection. And we're not perfect beings, but God sent Jesus so that you and I could be recreated. We could be made new. We could be reborn. The Nagshead Church not only believes that, but we actually exist to help those who don't yet know Christ, to know him. Who are still living, those of us who are still living in brokenness because of sin, help to help those people in this world. We were like them at one time, and, and we have discovered his grace and discovered his life. We want to help them discover it as well. So the question maybe that we need to ask this morning is this, and maybe you're asking this now, okay, if God wants to fix what's broken in me, if God wants to give me everlasting life, if God did all of this because he loves me and because Jesus died for me, I want to know, how do I get in on that? What do I have to do? Good question. The second point this morning in your outline is that the way is by grace, through faith in Jesus. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. You don't bring anything into the deal. It's by grace through faith, not from yourselves. Instead, it's, he says it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Grace, what is grace? Grace, grace and we, we've been singing about it this morning. Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. In other words, it's not earned. It's not reward for being good. It's not reward for obeying the Ten Commandments. It's free. Costs nothing. It's a gift. And the only way this salvation is acquired is by faith, by believing. That's it. Paul's very careful in this passage of Scripture. Very careful to add that it's not about you or I being religious. It's not about you or I being good being kind to people. It's not about you and I serving humanity. 
It's about grace, he said, through faith and not anything that you can do. We can't be good enough. I was told when I was a little boy by my mom who didn't believe she was religious, but she didn't understand grace. And I said, how do you go to heaven? She said, just be a good boy. And when you die, God will take all the good things you've done and he'll pile them up. And if the pile is big enough, you get to go to heaven. But that begs the question, how good is good enough? When do I know that my pile is large enough to get God's attention to say, okay, Rick, I'll let you in? There's no answer to that. Well, the answer is this. I can't build it big enough. I've got to be what Jesus was in order to go to heaven, and I can't do that unless I receive him as my Savior and accept that he died my death for me. So by God's grace, we're given his goodness when we believe in Jesus Christ and not in anything else. A lot of people think, too, I hear people say, well, before I can become a Christian, that all sounds really good, and and I'm seeking after God, and I want to know God, and I think what you Christians believe in, I think this is all great stuff, but before I can become a Christian, before I commit myself to that kind of thing, there's some things in my life that you don't know about yet, preacher, I need to clean up. i got to get some things straight first. Problem is, the Bible never says that's what you have to do. In fact, the Bible says you can't. Because your nature is to sin. You can't do it. I might get this part of my life cleaned up, say, okay, I'm going I'm to stop cussing. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I didn't know you cussed. I'm, I'm just using an illustration, all right? I'm gonna, but some of you cussing, you need to stop. I'm going to stop cussing. And so, I, man, I just kind of work really hard on it, and I, don't, and, and I don't do that anymore. But there's another part of my life that I haven't said, uh, I'm going to deal with that yet, you know. And, and, when, and maybe there, I go to that, and I go to this, and I go to that. And before I know it, I'm spending all my life trying to stop habits and trying to change my lifestyle. And I finally say, gosh, I cannot do this. There's just too much in my life. In fact, the Bible says, Rick, again, you can't clean yourself up. So when I, by faith, simply believe in Jesus as my Savior, he makes me new and he gives me his nature. So if you're one of those people that I talk to very often who's, well, I'm waiting to to get my act together. If, If that's you, let me give you a word of advice this morning if I can. Give it up. Forget about it. You can't get your act together. The best thing, the only thing you can do it is accept Christ. The way is by grace through faith in Jesus. And then the way guarantees new life. If I believe in Jesus Christ, how long is that good for? You ever go to Kmart or Walmart and buy an electronic prop, um, product? You know, I went in there last week and bought a little kind of a boombox thing. And you go to the cashier and they ring it up. And before they let you pay for it, they ask you the question, would you like to buy the extended warranty on this product? Add another year to it, and maybe you're one of those goofy people that says, oh, okay, I got nothing better to do with my money. Yeah, let me do that. And, and you buy. I, don't, I don't do that. When I get salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ, how long is it good for? And the Bible says this, it's good for eternity. The life Jesus promises, please hear this. A lot of people, man, this, this might set somebody free today in understanding what the, the life that Jesus promises you and me is not based on my performance. 
Not how good I am, how I live my life. It's not based on me, it's based on his promises. He is God. He is always faithful. He cannot lie. He keeps his promises. So listen to a promise that Jesus makes about this. In John chapter 5, verse 24, he said, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message, and we're doing that this morning, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Now, what tense is have in class? Present tense. You have eternal life when? The moment you believe. You have eternal life. Now get this. They will never, do you understand never? What does never mean? Ain't going to happen. They will never be condemned for their sin, but they have already, it's done, passed from death to life in God's eyes. You're changed. You're new. And since this new life is a gift that's given to me, not something that I've earned, I can be confident in its guarantee, not because of me. People ask, you know, well, do you know that you're going to heaven, Rick? And I say, yeah. And some people think, well, dude, you're awful cocky, aren't you? I mean, can anybody really know that? The promise of eternal life is not about me. It's about, it's about him. His reputation if I was to lose this eternal life, is at stake, not mine, because he promised us eternal life. Turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. When we talked a couple of weeks ago about the Holy Spirit, we saw how the Holy Spirit's been given to all who believe in Jesus Christ, God. The moment you believe, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, and he comes into your life as the guarantee Paul wrote of new life. He says the same kind of thing now. So what, how long does this good for? For we know, verse 1, that when this earthly tent, he's talking about our bodies here, physical bodies, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down. This is a passage I often read in funerals. All right? When we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long for the day when we put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. The older I get, I grow weary of this body that I live in. How about you? It just doesn't work like it used to. And we can do all the, we can color our hair, and we can rub cream all over us. You know, we can exercise and try to keep the muscles taut and in shape. We can even go to the expense of, of having things firmed up and stretched and whatever else they do to make us look young. But the fact of the matter is this body is still dying. It's growing weary. He said, we'll, we'll put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, verse Three, for we will not be spirits without bodies, but we'll, be, we'll put on new heavenly bodies. Our dying bodies make us groan. Anybody know what that's all about? Yeah, okay. Oh, man. We played laser tag last night, Gail and I did, and she, this morning she said, how are you feeling? I said, I feel great. 
Our dying bodies make us groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and we have no bodies at, uh, and, and have no bodies at all. We want to slip into our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by everlasting life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he's given us who? His Holy Spirit. He's his guarantee. Guarantee. So we are confident, not cocky. It's not about us. We are confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. That's why we're living, we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we're fully confident. We would rather be away from these bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. John finished out his letter to the believers this way, about this confidence. He said, John, 1 John 5, 13, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, not wonder, not guess, not worry about. He said, I've written these things so that you might believe on the name of the Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. You and I have believed in Christ can be confident. Because it's not about us, it's about him. And then this way changes us in this life. In this life. This doctrine of salvation isn't just about the experience of trusting Christ as your Savior. I did that as a 10-year-old boy. But that wasn't it. Some people view, okay, I'll believe in Jesus and get that, you know, get that godly fire insurance, you know, keep me out of hell kind of thing. I've been saved, so that's it. No, there's more to it than that. Salvation also includes a present work of God in your life. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, because, you know, similar to I did, you, there's a time in your life when you believed in Jesus and you were reborn at that point in life. Not only were you saved at that point, but the Bible teaches that you are also being saved right now. Have you ever noticed when somebody accepts Jesus Christ? I bet you've noticed this. You're an observant church. Have you ever noticed when somebody accepts Jesus as, as, as Savior, they're not, boom, immediately snatched up by God and gone? You know, I was witnessing to my, my friend at work, and, and I told him about Jesus, and, and he said, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to believe in Jesus Christ right now, and, and, and he was gone. That would make me wonder about me, wouldn't it, about you? How come he took him? God didn't take me. It doesn't happen that way. You and I are here on earth to learn and grow and mature in him, to become like Jesus in this life. But unlike that first part of salvation, when we believed and trusted in, in his grace and, 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 and what he did on the cross, which is totally a work of God and requires nothing at all from us, this, and we call that justification theologically, this second part, second aspect, if you will, of salvation does require something from me. I have to cooperate with God on this. I have to cooperate with his Holy Spirit as he removes things from my life that don't resemble the character of Christ and he replaces them with the things that do. The theological word for this part of salvation is what, what's called sanctification. It means to make holy in it. And it starts the moment that you're born into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. And the changes in your life start happening right then and there. How many of you can remember back to when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and, and you look back on it now and say, hey, you know what? Things began to change right then. One of us, two of us, all right? Oh, well, there, there come the hands. Okay. Yeah, I had my hand up. I wanted a, wanted a response. Ooh, you scared me there for a minute. 
The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let's read that with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. All of us are changed immediately by believing. But that changing only begins there. For me, starting when I was a 10-year-old boy. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of past baggage in my life when I was 10. But that change goes on through life. It begins there and carries on for the rest of our lives. And it makes me ask the question, makes us ask the question, well, is there anybody who can't be changed? No. Is there any habit or behavior too hard for God to change? No. Why? Because we talked about God a few weeks ago. One of the things that we learned and said about our God is that he is all-powerful. There is nothing our God cannot do. He can change anyone. But in order to change us, we, we have to, as Christians, we have to be willing to surrender every part of our lives to him for that to happen. He's not going to change the part that I hang on to and wrestle with him about. But when we do surrender, God's grace, again, does its work in our lives. I want you to look with me at back at, if you were in 2 Corinthians, go back one book to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, And they were really the prime example of a church made up of people with every kind of of background before they came to know Jesus. They were involved in a little bit of everything in that church, probably like a lot of us in this church were as well. And some people get the idea that, you know, know, Christians are are perfect people, and the answer is no, we're not. We, no, I like the bumper sticker, I'm not perfect, just forgiven, because we all understand that. But neither can we just say, well, you know what? I've got this problem. I've got this habit. I've got this addiction, whatever it might be, and it's just the way I am. That's that's Lady Gaga theology. God wants to change the way we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 9. Read down through verse 11. He writes to this church. Now, he's talking to Christian people here, okay? Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sins, who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, and swindlers, none of those will have a share in the kingdom of God. And then he stops and he says, now listen. There was a time when some of you were just like that. But get this now. He says to this church, but now your sins have been washed away. You have been set apart. That's the word sanctified. You've been set apart for God. You've been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God has done for you. And the church is made of people of all kinds of backgrounds, of all kinds of experience. And God says, doesn't matter what you were in the past, if you will trust me as your Savior, I can change you from the inside out and make you into a new creation that I want to do. And he wants to do that in our lives day by day by day. There is nothing too great for God to overcome in your life if you will allow him. And what's so gracious about God is this, and I've experienced this in my life, and I bet you have too. What's so gracious about God is that when he removes something from my life that maybe I've been hanging on to, that isn't good for me, that doesn't reflect Christ, he always replaces it with something better. God doesn't just pull something out of me and leave an empty place in my heart. He fills it back up 
with something better, something good, something Christ-like. So if you're a Christian, it's because you were saved when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. If you're a Christian, then you are being saved as he changes you from the inside out to be like Christ. But there's a third part of it. If you're a Christian, the Bible tells us you will be saved when you die and you'll go to heaven. The way, next point, the way provides us eternal life. Not only does faith in Christ give you forgiveness of sin and allows God to change your life, but when your body dies, your spirit will live on eternally in the presence of God. John chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bible with me, John chapter 11, a familiar story, the story of one of Jesus' best friends, a man named Lazarus who was sick and he died. And by the time Jesus got to the town of Bethany where they lived, he had been dead for four days. Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, also very good friends of Jesus. And Jesus, verse 17, arrived at Bethany, and he was told that Lazarus had been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to pay their respects and console Mary and Martha on their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does it sound a little bit to you like maybe she was blaming Jesus for Lazarus being dead? If you had just been here, you could have done something about it. But she goes on, she still has faith. But even now I I, I know Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. And and her answer was, okay, okay, I understand when everybody else rises on resurrection day, right? That wasn't what Jesus was talking about because in a few moments, he's going to walk down to the grave. He's going to tell people, move the stone out of the way of the tomb. And he's going to speak out the man's name, Lazarus, come forth. And a man who's been dead in the grave for four days is going to step out from the grave alive to live again. She doesn't know that yet. And before seeing that miracle, Jesus makes this statement to her in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, they will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and will never perish Do you believe this, Martha? When we die, we will live forever in the presence of God. It happens the moment that you die. Paul would later write, to be absent from the body is to beware, present with the Lord. What about, Rick, what about things like limbo or purgatory? And the simple answer is this, you won't find them in the Bible. No such thing. And if you're a believer, the scripture teaches that one moment you're alive here and the next moment you're alive in heaven. And what what that means is that as a believer, because the Bible promises me that as a believer, I can live without fear of death because I know what's waiting me on the other side. Okay, so how do you get to heaven? The answer is so simple. It's by believing in Jesus. There is only one way. And it's guaranteed by the one who came back to life from the dead and then rose to go to heaven in front of a large number of witnesses. Lady Gaga was wrong. There is another way. 
There's only one other way, and that's Jesus. He said this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is what we believe. Now, the the big questions today are these. First, have, have you ever completely trusted Jesus alone by faith and been given his gift of salvation? A great way to find the answer to that. A question that some of you have been asked by me this question. I ask frequently when I talk to people is this. It's a good way to figure it out. If you were to die right now, and in a matter of seconds you were to stand before God and he asked you this question, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Think about that for a moment. What would you say to him? Here's the deal. You can't fool God, so you can't come up with stuff that isn't real. It won't work. And if you start talking about, well, God, I went to church, or God, you know, I was baptized, or my daddy was a deacon, or you talk about how, well, Lord, I've tried my whole life to treat people fairly, then please understand, you're depending on something other than Christ. And based upon what the Word of God tells us, God would have to say, I'm sorry, can't let you in. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, why not do that right now? Why not get that settled forever? The only answer that God accepts is that. There was a time in my life, Lord, you remember, because you were there, when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. There was a moment when that happened in my life. Another big question today is this. If you are already a believer, and most of you probably are this morning, I would, I would think. question is, are you cooperating with God and giving him control over your life to change you into Christ's likeness? Or are you hanging on to old habits, old attitudes, behaviors? Do you think there are some things in your life that you have this idea that just, I know God can't change this about me? Is that the way you've been thinking? Maybe right now you simply need to say to him something like this, Lord, Jesus, you are my Savior, and I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of being caught in this trap, and I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know this habit is wrong, this this issue that I've got, this life that I know there are things that are not there, and I'm tired of being defeated by it. I know it's sin. Right now I surrender its power in my life over to you. Right now, I want to work with you, cooperate with you in this, and and not fight you and not be against you on it. Or maybe the question that you need to answer this morning is that if you're a believer, and the question is, are, are you living in preparation and anticipation of eternity? Is your life, are you living, getting ready for heaven? Not that you can do anything to get there, but are you being prepared for that? Has it it hit you that everybody that I know, whether I love them or I don't care for them a whole lot, 
Everybody that I know will someday die, but not everybody is ready. Maybe you are. If you're a Christian, you are. But not everybody's a Christian. And you know how to be ready. You know what to share with people. You know how to tell them your story of how you trusted Jesus as Savior. And the question is, as a believer, am I sharing that good news with people who need to hear it? Because that's our task. That's why he's left us here. So let me ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. What is it that you need to do today? Is it to fully trust Christ and him alone as your Savior? Let me say to you, there are no magic words. There's no prayer that you have to pray. It's a matter of you realizing he is the only way and nothing else works. And by faith, believing with your whole heart that he died and rose again for you, that's it. Maybe you need to turn some things as a Christian over to him, a part of your life that you've been hanging on to that you know doesn't make you look much like Jesus. Or maybe there's someone in your life, a friend, a neighbor, family member who needs Christ. Would you ask God right now to give you the boldness to witness to that person of his grace and love? With our heads bowed, Father, we have things to say to you. It might be someone just simply saying, God, right now, I believe with my whole heart that Jesus died for me and I accept him as my Savior. It might be that Christian who's been defeated and beaten down by a habit, by an attitude, by a lifestyle, by blaming everything on other people and not accepting responsibility, who right now is saying to you, I'm going to cooperate with you, Lord. You're going to, you want to clean me up and I'm going to allow you to continue to do that in my life. It might be somebody, Lord, that you've brought to my attention, a friend, a neighbor who doesn't know you yet and isn't prepared that I might share Christ with him or her. So would you hear our prayers? Would you listen to our hearts? I know that you will. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.